Lord, we recognize the rest that was spoken of there is a rest of coming into your promise, a land that you had promised your people. Lord, we know there's a rest that comes for us too as we come to Christ, who is really represents the promised land to us as New Testament believers and ultimately spending eternity with our Lord and Savior Jesus. I pray today, Father, that we will have a heart to hear your voice, that we will not reject what you say, but Lord, we will allow your voice to speak into our lives, to comfort us where we are discouraged, to challenge us, Lord, where we're demotivated, to inspire us, Father, where we might be in doubt or despair. Father, I pray today that you would instruct us so that we might leave this place addressing issues in our lives, that we might move forward and achieve and accomplish that purpose that you've called us both individually and collectively to do. We thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Well, we have a few ladies uh, absent this morning. About 70 of them are in Canmore at the annual ladies retreat. Hopefully a few will show up tonight, but it's hard to say. Today actually marks a very special day in our church's life. 30 years ago, Patty and I and Andrea, my oldest daughter, who happened to be two weeks old, came to Red Deer to be installed as the pastor of this tiny little group of believers who are now beginning a church. And so, yeah, it's an amazing thing. 30 years have gone by. A church in Edmonton kind of did a spearhead, kind of spearheaded, you know, the establishment of our church family had some interest meetings. Their goal was to achieve 10 committed families, three committed families. They decided to go ahead and start a church anyways. And so they were meeting at the Black Knight Inn. At that point, they made a decision to start meeting at a little church in West Park. I think it's a Disciples of Christ Church. And we began to meet there for the next 11 months. We had about 30 people coming out on Sunday night. Sunday mornings, we had the big crowd of eight people in my living room where we prayed together. And then in September of 1985, we took a major step of faith. We secured a building that's today located right behind Northwest Motors on 49th Avenue there uh, and 32nd Street. It's a liquor store today, but it was originally built as a funeral home, so it had a beautiful chapel. Later on, the Legion bought it. Then eventually, Northwest Motors bought it, put all their vehicles and all their mess in there. And we secured it. We leased it from them, and our church family began to grow very dramatically. And it grew from about 30 believers in September of 1985, and it exploded till within 18 months, there was over 300 people worshiping with us. It was really an abnormal beginning. You know, God was obviously doing something very unique and special. Uh, That's not a normal pattern for growth in a church. I'll just let you know that. That's really abnormal. But God was in it. And I'm going to just encourage us today. God has been in this church from its very beginning. 1989, you know, after much praying and seeking and crying out to God, I was praying, God, guide us so we could secure 10 acres of land. By this time, we had about 350 people worshiping in a hotel. And, uh, you know, I was praying for these 10 acres on a... an area where there'd be two major arteries in our city. And so, you know, I was a little concerned because the price of property 
At that time, 1988, I was reading, you know, it was the commercial property was going to be at value that between 80 and 100,000 an acre. It's like, if you're praying for 10 acres, you're praying just to have a property that would cost our congregation probably a million dollars. That's just for buying dirt. That's not even building the building on it. And uh, that was a big step of faith, but I felt the Spirit of God encouraging me. You know, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to give you the land. And I felt God encouraged me to say, I'm going to give you the land for free. And eventually, we found this beautiful site where the three-screen drive-in was. And we bought it for $150,000. And when they appraised all of the buildings and all the assets, like sewer and the three-phase power, the realtor said, you know, all of these assets are worth $150,000. You actually got the land for nothing. I said, yes. Thank you, Lord. You heard our cry. And so within the next three years, we were able to set aside funds and build, you know, the first part of our building here. It was a great victory. Church continued to grow. Uh, and we've had this journey of growing and developing. And most organizations, there's kind of a bell curve. It goes something like this, you know. The first generation lasts about 30 years. You know, there's beginning points. Everyone's excited, you know. Church is growing. And then... There's usually a plateau period, and then there's a time of decline, and eventually, you know, a lot of organizations die. And that's a very typical pattern for most organizations, first 30 years. They, you know, a lot of them die at the beginning, and by 30 years, they're over. And we had some challenges over these 30 years, and there's been moments of stagnation, there's been moments of plateau, there's been moments of decline. But I want to just say to you, in the last three years, our church has been really growing, and uh, I don't know, three or four, maybe five years ago, I was on a trip to India. I've been there a number of times now. And while I was there, they were dedicating a plot of ground to build an orphanage. And as I was standing there, you know, working with the, na the national people, as they're working at building this orphanage, the I felt God's spirit impress something in my mind. And it went something like this. Why can't some of the richest people in the world help some of the poorest people in the world with their orphans? You know, I had just read maybe a month prior that the, the corridor between Calgary and Edmonton had the second highest gross domestic national product per person in the world behind Luxembourg. We are some of the wealthiest people on the planet. And so as I was thinking about that, the next thought that came into my mind was our church family could do this. I knew the cost was about 200000 U.S. And I said, you know, our church family could probably do this, could probably build this entire orphanage. And then the third thought that came into my mind was, and as I was thinking about our church's future, and I knew that we needed to move forward and that we were becoming restricted in our property. We, we were going to eventually have parking problems and you know, we've gone to three services now. But, you know, eventually this is going to be a problem. And there was really no future. And we'd tried many other avenues. And so I felt the Spirit of God impress me. The third thought that came to my mind, if you do this, this will be your Jericho. And if you understand anything about the Bible, when the Israelites went in to possess their promised land, the first city they came to was the city of? Jericho. And God gave very specific instructions regarding the city of Jericho, did he? He said, you shall not have any of the spoil of the city. It is completely mine. Now, we, if you read uh, Joshua chapter uh, 7, you'll find out that Achan went ahead and didn't obey God, caused a lot of grief. People were, 
you know, this is disobedience caused other people to suffer loss a little later on. But basically, God said, Jericho belongs to me. And I believe there's a principle that God's trying to teach us, that when you and I are going to move forward, it's very important in our lives that we recognize that God really has uh, authority, or in a sense, God, everything belongs to God, and that when you and I give of the first fruits, when you and I give of our best, when you and I put God first in our lives, you know, then we can actually see that God will add what we need in life. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says what? Seek first God's kingdom, and then all of these other things shall be added to you. So God has a principle at play in our lives that we need to put God first in our life, first in our givings, first in our service. Everything about our life, God needs to be at the forefront. He has to be first. And as we do that in our lives, then God's blessing begins to flow in our lives. God can trust us. As we trust God, God trusts us. How many think that's a pretty neat experience? We're trusting God, God starts trusting us. The more I trust God, the more God can trust me. Are you seeing the principle at work? And so I felt very strongly about that, and I came home, and I said to our leaders, I said, you know, I had a very interesting experience in India. And they said, what happened? I said, I was standing on this plot of ground. They were dedicating it for an orphanage. And uh, I felt this thought. And then I shared what I just shared with you. And they said, I said, you think this may be God speaking to us? And they said, Pastor, we believe God spoke to you. We believe this is something we should be doing. And I brought it to our membership. And the membership said, Pastor, we believe this is what you know, we should be doing as a church family. And do you know why I know God spoke to me and why God uh, affirmed it in our church family? Because I brought it to our church one Sunday morning. That was the only time I mentioned it. And in that year, God's spirit put it on the hearts of people to give. So at the end of the year, we had raised 200,000 U.S. and were able to build the orphanage. How many know that when God is in something, it happens so beautifully? It's an amazing thing because God's spirit is at work. You know, and he's not only talked to me, he talked to people in our church family. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that an awesome thing when he can do that? Now, listen to me very carefully. That was our Jericho, folks. God is now leading us into the future of our church because we have obeyed God in this step. How many think that's a pretty big step? How many think that was a pretty important step? You know, God has a plan not only for India, not only for orphans there, but God also has a plan for us. And then I said to our leaders later on, I said, you know, we've tried many things, but I sense in my heart that if we'll buy land, all the other dominoes, will begin to fall. God will begin to make the way clear and plain for us. And the moment the leader said, Pastor, let's do it, property became available to us. And two years ago, in 20, well, actually last year, 2013, we were able to buy 133 acres for less than a million dollars. Amen. What a, that's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> and... I don't know if you know today, but if you go out in the foyer, there's this big tree out there. Have you, have you kind of noticed that? There's all these leaves. There's a few black spots. If you look very carefully at that, that's a kind of a scale to show you how much has been given towards the property and how much is still required. And at this point, of the 933000 that we paid for the property, we owe about 154000 Isn't that amazing? Praise God. So... 
I'm saying all of this to just encourage us today that you know what God started very tiny beginning I still remember sitting in my living room with eight people praying today we're more than eight people we have three services there are thousand, you know, over a thousand people call this their church home. I don't know exactly how many, but it's a lot, believe me. And a lot of people's lives have been touched over the last 30 years. I would say thousands of people have their lives been impacted because of what God has done in and through our lives. And the good news this morning is this is only the beginning. What God has in store for our future, I'm convinced, is even greater than what we have currently experienced. God has some amazing things. But what I want to do today is give you four ingredients that I believe will help you move forward in life. Four ingredients. Four ingredients to help prepare our church family for a new season. Folks, you know, when God is about to do something, you get little signs of a new season beginning to happen. I'm going to share a story with you in a few minutes of what happened this week. The first ingredient I believe in moving forward in our lives is that we have to begin by addressing past issues. Now I want you to notice in Joshua chapter 5, this is where we are this morning. Joshua chapter 5 verse 2. We have this little moment where the Israelites are preparing to go into their promised land. And I want you to notice these things that begin to happen. It says in verse 2, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and he circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah, Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All of those who came out of Egypt... All the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. They'd wandered it for 40 years. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness, the new generation, during the journey from Egypt, had not been circumcised. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they had left Egypt had died. Why had they died? Because they did not believe God's promise. They didn't act in faith. They didn't move forward when God called them to. They just, you know, had unbelief. And because of that, and we read it this morning in Psalm 95, God says, I was angry with that generation. They just, I couldn't do anything with them. Folks, how many here you want it be said of you, I don't want to be a generation that God is so frustrated with, he can't do anything with me. How many say, that's not who I want to be? I want to be of that generation that when I hear God's voice, I'm obedient to what God's asking me to do so that I can actually fulfill God's purposes for my life. Is that you this morning? That's me. That's my heart's cry. Lord, help me to do your will. He goes on to say here, so he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. How many know that was a pretty smart thing to do? Uh, you know, how many know that? You know, I, I can't imagine a military manual that says, okay, you're going to battle, everyone has to be circumcised. I mean, that just kind of goes against the natural understanding. How many know that's true? Isn't that true? Doesn't make any sense, did it? Because you're putting yourself in a weakened condition. But why did they do that? Why did Joshua, you know, do what God asked him to do to circumcise this generation? 
It's not about a physical operation. Circumcision represented their covenant with God. The fact that they had not done it meant that they had a very low understanding, a very, you know, a, a unresponsiveness towards God's covenant. How many think that's kind of important, that we do what God's asking us to do? And so they weren't doing it. And uh, so they were just wandering around in the wilderness, a state of unbelief, you know, murmuring and complaining, belly aching the whole time. You can read it in the book of Numbers. You know, God finally got fed up with them. He just said, that's it. You guys are all going to die there. And the people that you thought wouldn't make it, they're going to go in. That young generation is going to go in. And that's exactly what happened. You know, um, in our lives, think about this. There are probably things that are keeping us from moving forward. If we have not addressed the things of the past, the past keeps us chained. I mean, those unresolved issues keep us chained to the past. What are, you, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying simply this. To move forward, we have to have a clean slate. It's not about a physical operation. See, Paul talks in the New Testament about being circumcised in heart. We have to have the right heart attitude. We have to be in a right relationship with God. And one of the keys of being in a right relationship with God, with God is, is that we have to be in a right relationship with other people. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, listen, if you don't have a good relationship with people, forget what you've got on the altar, go back and reconcile to that person, and then come back and offer your offerings to me. I'm gonna just say it to this way. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts, if we have pain and sorrow and hurts in our past life, and we have not processed this stuff, we are living in a prison house of unforgiveness, and we can never move forward. And so today, the first step to moving forward is to check our hearts and to say, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Is there anything in my heart that's keeping me from moving forward? You know, if I have not forgiven people, if there's somebody I need to forgive, let me tell you something. If someone has done you terrible, and that can happen, people are abusing and misusing people all the time, that person has probably moved on. But if you and I have unforgiveness in our heart, we're still trapped in a prison called unforgiveness. And we will never move on. We are trapped in our past. Today, I plead with you, let go of the past. You need to say, God, by your grace, help me to forgive this person so that I can open the cell and walk out of the prison called unforgiveness. And I can begin to move forward in my life. God has an amazing future for each one of us, but we can't get there if we're, we're still tied to the past. But let me move on to the second one, and it's simply celebrating past victories. Notice in our text here, it says, on the 14th day of the month while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Oh, by the way, Gilgal means that reproach was rolled away. It's an amazing place. It's a place where, you know, we can have the reproaches in our life rolled away. They were now to celebrate the Passover, a very significant event. Does anybody know what the Passover is about? Let me remind you. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. They can't get out. They've been there for over 400 years. They have a slavery mentality. They've been, in, you know, in captivity so long. There's been no hope. They've been crying out to God. And God sends them a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses shows up on the scene, God's instrument. 
And there's these amazing plagues that start happening to the gods of Egypt. And, you know, Pharaoh's heart gets hard. He won't let him go. And then we see the very last plague. It's very interesting. Pharaoh says, you'll never see my face again. Moses says, that's fine. I don't want to see it again. Anyways, so he's, God says to Moses, take a lamb. Examine it from the 10th day to the 14th. And when you examine it, make sure there's no blemish. Take the lamb and offer it up to me and take its blood and sprinkle it over the doorposts of your house. And when the death angel comes along that's going to slay all the firstborn in Egypt, I will pass over your house. That's why it's called the Passover. Very creative name, right? Passover. You know, so he passes over. And all those that were in faith, even the Egyptians that had faith, you know, that heard about this, participated. See, people, when they hear something and faith arises in their heart, they embrace what God has to say. They are delivered. And so they experience this amazing moment in their life. It's the beginning of actually the life of the congregation called Israel. It's the first day of their history, in a sense. So they're delivered out of their bondage. What an amazing moment. And so from that point on, every year, Jewish people celebrate the Passover. It's to remind them of God's graciousness to them in their bondage. But folks, I want to declare to you today that there's an even greater Passover that we celebrate. Paul says to the Corinthians that Christ is our Passover. And actually, the Passover is only a picture of what Jesus Christ came to do on the cross because, you see, Jesus came to live, and he lived among us for three and a half years. See, those days become years. And John says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. They examined Jesus' life and found it spotless without sin. And Jesus now is crucified, and it's the shedding of his blood that delivers us from our slavery, which is a greater slavery, not just to humanity, but a slavery to sin, which we've all experienced. And so if we've had, I've given our lives to Jesus Christ, he is our Passover, and now we're free. And so every communion service, we're reminding ourselves over and over again that Christ is our Passover. He has set us free, and we're to celebrate that. That is an important thing. But I believe that we celebrate more than that, we celebrate what God has done in our past. And so one of the things that happens in our lives is that if we're not learning to be thankful, if we don't learn to celebrate what God has done and what God is doing in our lives, what do we tend to do? We tend to focus on our problems. Does anybody here have a problem? Are there any problems in this life? You know, and what happens is the problems become the dominant focus of our minds. And some of us in this room, you are problem-centered. You know who I'm talking to. You are a problem-centered person. You're fixated on your problems. And those problems seem almost insurmountable to you. Folks, I want to declare to you, you got your focus in the wrong place. You need to focus on the Redeemer. You need to focus on the Savior. You need to know His great mercy and His great love. And I believe when we begin to understand who he is, it is so important we get this stuff right. You see, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. God has moved us from the old to the new. Now, so often when we read that, what do we do? We say, yeah, but I'm still in the same body. 
You know, I gave my life to Jesus. I didn't change physically. See, we have this funny idea what old and new is all about. It means that we have a new standing. It means that we are, you know, there's something that's happened within our lives. There's been a transformation that has occurred. Let me give it to you this way. This past week, I had an amazing experience in my office. You know, a couple came to see me, and while they were there, I was talking to the woman about an issue that she wanted. She came to me and was asking me to help her with something, and the person that she was with, this, this man, you know, when we were done the conversation, I turned to the man. I'm, I'm a friendly sort of person. I'm not going to ignore people. So I turned to him and started chatting, and he said, well, I really don't want to be here. I said, oh, you know, thanks for telling me. But he said, I've been studying with another group, and, you know, I said, well, listen, I, I don't like bad-mouthing other groups. I mean, there's a lot of Christian churches. I said, I would say nothing, but the group that you're studying with, they're not Christian. Do you realize that? He said, yeah, I know. I said, well, listen, are you sincere about getting to know God? He said, of course I am. I said, well, let me just take a moment here and just share a few thoughts about, you know, what the Bible has to say, you know, about the Lord Jesus. And so I began reading Scripture for the next 25 minutes, pointing out to him all the places that showed who Jesus Christ really is. And every once in a while, I'd be reading a chapter, and I'd say, and, you know, Jesus is, and then they would say, and it would be speaking of Christ, I said, and who is equal to the Father? And he'd have to answer, Jesus. And so throughout the conversation, I kept getting him to say, Jesus, he's the answer. You know, I just kept getting him to say this. You know, as we're reading through the scripture, you know, the obvious answer is Jesus. Kept doing it to him. Well, eventually, this man stops and begins to explode and, and begins weeping uncontrollably in my office. I have no idea what's going on. And so I start quietly praying. And while he's sobbing, he's talking to her, this lady from a different culture, different language. Eventually, he says, I need help. I said, would you like to receive Jesus? Because I I'd, I'd share some more stuff too, you know. It was, pretty, it was pretty powerful. The sense of God's presence was very strong. And he said, yes, I would like to receive Jesus. The moment we prayed, he said, I feel totally light. And then he started weeping some more, sobbing uncontrollably. And he said, Pastor, please forgive me. He said, I didn't want to come to the church, but I came. I didn't want to come into the office, but the administrators said, you want to go in the office? He said, I got offended. I was angry at them. You know, later on, my secretaries, the administrators said, Pastor, we thought he couldn't speak English. He ended up coming into my office. He said, the whole time I wanted to run, but I couldn't move. The whole time I wanted to put my hands on my ears, but I couldn't move my hands. The whole time, he said, I wanted to argue with you, but I couldn't speak. He said, eventually, he said, I, I, I felt this heat. He says, I felt so angry. I felt like going wild, berserk. I wanted to come across there and strike you and beat you up. But he said, I was getting pushed down further in my chair. I couldn't move. You see? Spirit of God. Spirit of God was at work. And the moment he prayed, he came around weeping. Forgive me, Pastor. I'm so sorry. He said, I hated you, but now I love you. Wow. How many say that's a work of grace? 
God moved somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. He left my office. He went to these ladies. He hugged them. He asked for forgiveness. He had his hands. He was weeping and praising God. I said, okay, folks, if you, you know, this is not just mere word. We're not just winning arguments with people. This is in the power and the demonstration of the spirit. We need to understand something. We are living in a culture today that is highly religious. You go, no, they're not. They don't believe in God. Yes, they are. That's called secularism. That's a religion. It's, it, it's elevating humanity and it's diminishing God. We're in a state of rebellion against God. There's a huge battle going on in our culture. And I want to declare to you today that the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It changes people's lives. And we need to learn how to celebrate what we have. Some of us in this room, we say, you know, pastor, I don't know who I am in Christ. You know, I chatted with someone this week and I said to them, I said, listen, you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I asked the question, if you're a daughter to a king, what does that make you? And what's the right answer? If you're a daughter to a king, what are you? A princess. And if you're a, a son in this room and you're a son to a king, what does that make you? A prince. Folks, if you're in Christ today, you are both prince and princesses before Almighty God. We need to understand who we are in Christ. And we need to begin to rejoice based on who God says we are and not based on, well, I look at myself and I got all these hang-ups and problems. That's the problem. Our focus is in the wrong place. We're kind of like the grandfather that came to visit his grandkids. He was taking an afternoon nap. Some of the kids put Limburger cheese on his mustache. Limburger cheese is a very stinky type of cheese. He woke up out of his sleep. He said, man, does this room stink. He went into the kitchen and he said, man, this room stinks too. He went to another room and he said, the whole house stinks. Finally, he went outside and he said, the whole world stinks. Folks, when we have that kind of a mentality that it's everybody else is the problem and we're not, folks, we're the problem. We got the wrong attitude. And what we need to do is get into the presence of Almighty God and have an attitude of gratitude. We need to be thankful. And the Bible says in Romans, when they stop being thankful to God, they eventually turned away from God. And so it's so critical that you and I develop this, this right attitude. You say, but you don't understand my problem. I'm saying, it doesn't matter. I understand our God. And he is bigger than our problems. How many know you'll always have problems? I've been alive for a few years now, and I can honestly testify that in this world, you're going to have a few problems. Anybody here have problems? Anybody here have any trials? Anybody here have any difficulties? Of course. But in the, you know, it says be of good cheer. Even though you've got problems in the world, who's in the world with us? The answer is Jesus. And if God is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? That's powerful. But let me move on to the third uh, point to be able to move forward. The third ingredient is that we need to trust God in times of transition. Notice it says in verse 10, it says, uh, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. 
unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. You know, remember the story? They're in the wilderness. They got a food shortage. And what does God do? He sends them bread from heaven. Psalms calls it angel food. The only problem was is this white coriander seed that would fall on the ground, you know, and the Israelites looked at it and said, what's this? What is it? That's what manna means. What is it? You know, they weren't that impressed. They had manna in the morning. They had manna at noontime. They had manna at supper time. I mean, it was manna, manna, manna. I mean, how many ways can you fix manna? You can boil it, bake it, fry it. I don't know. But after a while, they got tired of eating manna. How many know that's true? They started complaining. We want to go back to Egypt. We want rather be in captivity eating garlics and leeks than to be sitting here in the wilderness eating manna. God said, okay, I'll send you some meat. And he gave them 30 days worth of meat, you know. Birds flew in. You know, it was really amazing what God would, what did with them. But, you know, eventually some of them died because of that. Yeah, God gave them what they wanted. But for 40 years they had manna. And then the day they get in the promised land, they get to eat of the produce, the manna stops. The provision stops. Now, I can just imagine 10, 15 years go by, and some old timer says, yeah, I remember back when we used to eat angel food. We used to have manna. Oh, I long for the manna. Isn't that the way we are? Come on now, it's the way we are. It's amazing, you know, we can have this amazing encounter with God a few years back, and then pretty soon, you know, yeah, I can remember back in the day when we really met with God. You know, when we really had an encounter with God. You know, we're kind of a funny group of people. When we look at the past, we have selective memory. We forget all the hard times, the difficulties, and the problems. All we remember is the provisions and the blessings. Those were the good old days. The good old days were never as good as you thought they were. You just have selective memory. I'm pointing that out to you. What am I trying to say to us? God wants to do a new thing. It says so in the Bible. It says here in the book of uh, Isaiah 43, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. Now, Paul says it in another way. In Philippians, he says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on to the things which are ahead. Now, is he telling us to have amnesia and forget everything about our past? Of course not. What should we remember about our past? The goodness of God. What should we remember about our past? The lessons that we've learned. What should we remember about our past? The sins that we committed that God forgave and we need to forsake. Those are the things we need to forget, right? We need to learn from those things. But we don't dwell on it. We don't want to go back. You can't go back and, you know, oh, I wish I could have done that differently. It doesn't work that way. Move on. And listen to this. What God has in store is better than what he had in the past. He's going to do a new thing. See, he says it in Isaiah. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up and you don't perceive it. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now, what is a desert and a wasteland? Well, those are not fun places. How many know it's kind of difficult to live in a desert and a wasteland? True? I mean, it's speaking of of difficulty. And God says, look, I'm going to take the difficulties that you're currently in, he says, and I'm going to provide provision for you in those situations. Yay! Yay! I'm going to do a new thing, God says. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be awake when God does a new thing. I want to be a part of what God's doing. You know, some people are trying to enshrine the past. You know, I love history. You have no idea. I study it, but I want to learn from it. I don't want to relive it. Right? I don't want to go back. I don't want to go in a time capsule to another period of time. I am so excited about what God is doing and is about to do. I am so excited that we've gotten to this point. I'm so excited that I've learned these lessons. How many go, it was a little bit of difficulty to learn some of the things I've learned. How many say, I can honestly say, Pastor, it's, you know, I've gone through many trials, tears, and sorrows. And I've learned a few things on this journey called life. Anybody here, you can say amen to that. How many want to keep repeating that stuff? Anybody want to sign up for more of it? Not me, thank you. I, I got that lesson, God. I want to move on. I want to see what God's about to do. And I want to encourage you guys. You know, as great as the past has been, what God has in store is greater. God has some amazing things in store for us. You know, we've had the privilege of touching our city. I believe we're going to touch it at a higher level in the future. Hallelujah. You know, I believe that we can actually impact our province and nation at a higher level. I believe that we're going to impact the world at a higher level. How many say, Pastor, I want to, I want to join you in this. I want to see the new thing that God's doing. I want to see the greater impact. As a matter of fact, listen to me. You know, 30 years from now, I may not be here. If I am, great. I'll come and celebrate with you. You know, I'll be around and I'll, my, my goal is eventually when I'm no longer the senior pastor, I'm going to be the greatest cheerleader. See, because there's a new generation rising up and I want it to rise up. That's my prayer. I want this generation, we sang it, to be its in, you know, selfless faith. I want them to rise up. I want them to do greater things. I want them to stand on our shoulders and do greater things. I want them to have the resources and the encouragement and the experiences that we have instilled and passed into them so that they can do greater things in the kingdom of God. Amen? That's what we want. You know, I want my kids to do better than I did. How many parents you feel that way? Every parent should have their hands up, of course. You know, I want my kids to be world changers. I want them to be devil chasers. I want them to be, you know, God's mighty women of God. I have daughters, you know. But I'm gonna tell you guys a little shocking thing. I believe that there's some powerful women out there. And I'm for them, you know. I'm for these young women that are rising up with leadership gifts. I'm gonna encourage them. I'm not gonna discourage them. I'm gonna encourage them to go all the way and be mightily used of God. Amen? You bet. You know, and there's young men rising up. And I think young men in our generation have been, you know, been beat up by our culture. And I want them to rise up and become mighty men of God. I don't want them to listen to the lies of our culture. I want them to listen to the word of the living God. I want them to be a David so they can take down their Goliaths. I want them to be Daniels that can stand true in a compromised culture. I want them to be like Mary, these young women like Mary who could be virtuous in this culture and actually say, man, God, your purposes be done even though people may you know, uh, you know, criticize me. I'm gonna do your will and I'm gonna fulfill your purposes. Amen? That's what we wanna see. Okay, but let me just move on to the final ingredient here. 
We need to address past hurts if we're going to move forward. We need to celebrate past victories. I think that's important. We need to trust God in times of transitions. How many know transitions are difficult? How many know that transitions move you outside your comfort zone? How many know that you can't grow in a comfort zone? How many know that every time you've grown the most, you've been uncomfortable? How many can say amen to that? That's the way it works. I don't enjoy it, but I've grown in those moments. That's where you grow, okay? But let me final, the last point is simply this. is surrendering our lives to God's purposes. Listen to what it says here in verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. You know, it's one thing to run into somebody with their sword in their sheath. It's another thing to run into somebody who's got their sword out. That's a little more intimidating. How many can say amen to that? You know, Jeremy... Are you in the second service or was he in the first? Maybe he was in the first. We were in India and they had a religious celebration and these guys are into it. You know, full-blown worshiping the wrong side. Oh, Debbie, you were there. So you had a guy with a big sword. And boy, I'll tell you, people were scared in our group. Were they not? You were petrified. I'm just going, whatever, you know. But I'm just telling you, drawn sword. At that moment, you want to know, what are you up to, buddy? Right? You're thinking this. What are you up to? And Joshua says to him, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? I'd like to know which side you're on. And he answers a very interesting answer. What's it say? Read it. What does it say? Neither. I'm on neither side. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and said, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. By the way, is there any other place before this that somebody stood on holy ground and and God spoke to them and said, take off your shoes, it's holy ground? Where was that? Moses at the burning bush. Now Joshua has his burning bush experience, except for him it's not a burning bush. It's a a commander with his drawn sword. How many know that our encounters with God are going to look different? In every generation, they're going to look different. You know, we can't say, oh, you got to have a burning bush experience or you haven't met with God. Listen, Joshua would have said, I never had a burning bush experience, but I did run into this person with a drawn sword. And it was God speaking into our life. Amen? How many are starting to see? It's a little different. Then he says something interesting. You know, we like to think God's on our side, right? How many here like to think God's for us? He's on my side. No, wrong thinking. We're going to change it all on you. God says this, listen, you can join my side. You can get on my page. I want to say this to all of us as Christians. we got to get out of the notion that God is our errand boy or genie in the bottle. Get that out of our thinking. You know what? We can't walk around going, God, here's my agenda, and we rub the little genie bottle, and God pops out and says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? A lot of Christians, that's their viewpoint of God. I'll tell God what to do. Folks, God has an agenda. The question I have to ask is, am I on God's agenda, or am I on my agenda? Good question. Because God feels no obligation to fulfill my agenda. How many know that's true? But if I can shift and get on God's agenda, guess what's going to happen? Things are going to pop. 
You know, when God says to me in India, hey, I want you to build the orphanage, and I go, if it's your idea, God, if this is really you talking to me, you're going to have to tell the rest of the crew in Red Deer because, you know, I can't do it by myself. And when I came home and just mentioned it, the Spirit of God worked on every last heart. It just happened, right? Why? Because it was what God wanted. How many say when God wants something, it gets done? Hallelujah. So the question today isn't, what's your agenda? The question today you have to answer is, are you on God's agenda? And if you're on God's agenda, that means you're surrendering to his lordship. And what does that look like? Well, when I read the Bible, it means that I'm serving people. When I read the Bible, if I'm a young child, it means I'm obeying my parents. If I'm a a husband, it means I'm loving my wife. If I'm a wife, it means I'm respecting my husband. I could go on and on. I could go through the whole Bible. It means, you know, showing respect to one another. It means loving each other. It means serving one another. It means praying for each other. It means doing good to those who despitefully use you. I could go on and on and talk about all the things that the Bible tells us reflects submission to Christ's lordship. And when you and I deviate from that, we're on our own page. We're doing our own thing. And I don't care what we're saying. Well, God's telling me to do this. Well, you can say what what you want. But I'll tell you, the fruit is in the pudding. And if God is really telling you to do something, it'll get done. But if it's your own cockeyed idea, and let me tell you something. There's a lot of people have kooky ideas what they think God's telling them to do. That's why we're in a body. That's why we need to be accountable to one another. You notice I didn't come back to our church and say, you know, God told me this and God told me that. I came to our leaders and said, you know what? I was in India and this is what happened to me. These are the thoughts that came into my mind. Do you think God was speaking to me? And the leader said, pastor, we bear witness. Our spirit is saying, yes, we think that's God. And you know why it was God? Because God's spirit put it on the hearts of people to do something about it. That's when you know it's God. Okay, I think we have to prove. It says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is true. We can't be running around telling people, God's telling me to do this and that and the other thing. You know, it all sounds good, but if it's really God, other people are gonna say, yes, we think this is God. I think we need to be more humble. That's what I'm trying to tell you. We gotta be less arrogant, more humble, more dependent on God, more submitted to each other, And let me tell you something. When a group of people come under the leadership of the commander of the Lord's army, when you and I surrender to God and his purposes, and we do this thing collectively, do you know the kind of dynamic power that is released? Let me tell you what happened on the day of Pentecost. It says they were in one heart. They were in one accord. They were in one spirit. They were unified. And when they were unified around God's purpose, as they were obeying God, as they were praying, as they were waiting on God, the Spirit of God came, and boy, boom, the whole city was transformed. 3,000 people got saved on one sermon. You think it's because Peter was eloquent? Nah, I don't think so. I think it was because the people were in unity with the Spirit of God. They had surrendered to his leadership. And if that's you here today, you say, Pastor, I want to move forward. I want to resolve past issues in my life. Maybe you're here today and that's you. Let's just stand together. Maybe that's you today. I want to resolve past issues in my life. Every head bowed right now. Just bow your head, close your eyes for one moment. How many here say, Pastor, there are some past issues I need to let go of right now? Just raise your hand. Raise them up high. Boy, there's a lot of us. Okay. Okay, you have to make a decision. 
you know what? I'm going to entrust all my hurt, all that stuff to God. I don't have to get even. I'm just going to trust God with it. I'm going to let it go. I pray for God's grace to fill my heart to let that person go. I'm going to forgive right now. I'm just going to release it right now. I'm going to release all the junk in my system right now. Maybe you're here today. You want to move forward. But you're a grumbler and a complainer. You're just focusing in on your problems. Folks, learn to be thankful. Get up in the morning and begin to worship God. If you are alive, you should be thanking God. If you are a believer, you should be thanking God for your salvation. If you've got a roof over your head, you better thank God for that. you got something to eat, you better thank God for that. You better start focusing in on what to be thankful for. It'll impact your life. It'll move you away from a, being a problem-centered person to a God-oriented individual, knowing God's power. You need to know who you are in Christ. Listen, old things have passed away. You need to get on the right page. You need to find out who God says you are and not what your past has defined you to be or your problems. Thirdly, we need to trust God in times of transition. I believe we're in a time of transition. We're going to go into it. It's not going to be comfortable. Some of you are really in a discomfortable, a very uncomfortable time. Rejoice in that. This is growth moment. Just say, Lord, I want to thank you for the growth moment. I want to learn everything I can possibly learn in this growth moment. I want to get the lessons, oh God. I want to trust you even though I don't understand. I want to get it. And then finally, Lord, I don't want to do my will because there's only two types of people, C.S. Lewis said. There's the people who do their will and there's the people who do God's will. And the people who perish are the people who are doing their will. And the people who are saved are the people who are doing God's will. And the people who are doing God's will are going to be the mighty in the land. They're going to do mighty exploits. God's going to use their lives no matter how weak they may think they are because it's not based on who we are, folks. It's based on who he is. And God delights to use the foolish things of this world. God delights to use the weak things of this world. So I qualify. I qualify today. Do you qualify today that God could use you? And folks, if you and I will surrender to his agenda, it's amazing what God can do in and through your life. And when we do that together as a congregation, and we become in one accord with him, it is amazing this many people coming together can really impact the city. I believe that in the next years, we're going to have a greater impact in Red Deer than we've ever had before. How many here say, Pastor, I'm in agreement with you. We are going to have a greater impact because we are going to surrender. It's not because we're going to be so bright. It's because we're going to be so surrendered to his will. We're going to do it together. We're going to impact. We're going to impact our nation. I believe we're going to impact Canada in a way we've never touched it before. We're going to impact our nation as a congregation. I'm going to say, man, I'm up for that. I want to see our nation touched right from Red Deer, right from this little city in the middle of the western provinces that we can touch our entire country. We can impact Ottawa. We can impact Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, right from here. Do you believe that? We can impact the, you know, the maritime provinces. I have some ideas on how to do it. God's starting to put creativity in my mind. I'm praying for it, that we can literally impact our nation. I'm excited. God can do it. Amen? I believe it. How many here can say, my life's being impacted right now? How many here, you're saying, my life's being impacted? 
In the last little while since you've been attending church, your life is changing. Your life is being impacted. That's good. That's what we want to hear. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. You want to do a new thing. You want to do a new thing. We thank you for what you've done in the past. Thank you for your faithfulness for 30 years. Thank you for your provisions, oh God. Thank you for the people that you've saved. Thank you for the people that you've brought. Thank you for the people that you've raised up. Thank you for the leaders that you've given us over the years. We want to just thank you this morning. We want to praise you, Lord, for all the gifts that you've brought into our lives. All the wonderful musicians, all the wonderful teachers, all the gifted servers, oh God. Lord, we want to thank you for each and every life, Father. They've impacted us. We've changed as a result. Father, we pray today that you will help us as we make this fresh surrender. As we surrender. Young people, you need to surrender. God wants to use your life in amazing ways, but you need to surrender. God can only use surrendered lives. I'm serious about this. I mean, he can use other people, but he can really use surrendered lives. Let me say it that way. He can use ungodly people, but he can really use surrendered lives. He can use you beyond your imagination. He can use you to be a world changer. I'm believing for you, young people. You don't know this. I pray for you. I'm believing you're going to be world changers. World changers. Hallelujah. You think you're in the minority? With God, you are in the majority. You are greater than all of the other kids put together because you have God with you. It's not to puff you up. It's yeah. to make you understand something. You and God are the majority. Yeah. God is bigger than your problems. God is greater than your weakness. He's bigger than your inability. He's greater. But if we'll surrender to him, he'll use us. God speak in the hearts. How many here right now, young person, I want to just speak to young people for a minute. How many of you say, Pastor, I want to be a world changer. Just raise your hand. Yes. I want to be a world changer. Raise them up high. Raise them up high, guys. I want to pray for you right now. All these world changers. Lord, you see their hands. Lord, I just pray right now. Pour out your spirit upon them, Lord. Help them to be world changers, oh God. Use them in an amazing way beyond their understanding or beyond their ability, Lord. I pray that they will have an unusual influence in our city, in our nation, and around our world. You're making them world changers. We thank you for that. How many old people now? Older people. I'm not going to say old. Older people. I love Dr. Thomas. Experienced people. He likes that word, experienced people. Hey, how many here say, Pastor, it's not too late for me. If Moses can lead the Israelites out at 80, hallelujah. If Caleb could take on the promised land at 85, I'm, I'm ready. I got my hand up. I want to be a world changer. I want to be a world changer, oh God. How many days you give me? How many weeks? How many years? Lord, I want to be a world changer. Raise your hands right now to God. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for this congregation. We're going to be world changers, Lord, because we're surrendering to your leadership and to your agenda, Father. Your purposes, may they prevail in each and every life. And what we do collectively, may it be greater than what we could do individually. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave today.